James chapter 2. If you have not been with us, we're going through the book of James on the far right-hand side of your Bible, or if you are turning on an electronic device, scroll to the bottom, uh, wherever that may be, the book of James. The question for those of you who were here last week is, uh, how well did you do this week with favoritism? For those of you who were here that looked at verses 1 through 7 with us, did you witness others showing favoritism to other people? Or did you yourself struggle with showing favoritism to someone in some way? We saw last week, as we see again today, that there is a temptation specifically for the people of God to treat other people better uh, than some others. And it's a, t- it's a temptation for all, but specifically James says to the church that it was evil, we saw. He said it's not in line with God's character, and therefore his example or illustration was the church gathering, and there was a wealthy man and a man that's impoverished, they come in together, and the example was they gave the wealthy man the best seat in the house while they made the poor man go sit at the back at the feet of the other people, and he went on to say that favoritism or showing favoritism Favoritism towards someone, especially in the church, is evil, it's wrong, and it's against the Lord God Almighty. Today, uh, we look at verses 8 through 13, part 2 of this, in which he moves from the illustration to a principle about fulfilling the law of God. And the principle that he lays out is that God has given us his law, and we're to obey it, simply. And if you look at chapter 2 and the whole book of James, there is this constant theme about faith and works. Next week, we'll spend some more time specifically on this area, but that we would understand and know that James writes to the believers and says, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, then your works will show your faith in Him because you're being obedient to His laws. The scriptural truth this morning as we look at verses 8 through 13 of James chapter 2 is this, favoritism is wrong because it violates God's command to love others. Favoritism is wrong because it violates God's command to love others. Look with me at verses 8 through 13 of James chapter 2. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty." For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The Word of God. And again, a reminder that every time we open the Bible and read, this isn't just a group of men who sat down and wrote their own thoughts. We have a great blessing that we have the Word of God written down for us to understand and live by today. Would you pray with me again? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would now stir our hearts up from your word, teach us your truths, that we would live accordingly, and we ask a blessing again on the preaching of the word in Jesus' name, amen. If you look with me at verses 8 through 9, following the first seven verses about not to show favoritism or not to uh, hold someone at a higher regard than another, no matter what their financial status 
uh, whatever status they are in general, a position, uh, prominence, or whatever, uh, he, he, he lays out for us in verses 8 through 9 that we, as believers, should have and do have a desire to obey. And then we'll see in verses 10 through 11 that we're commanded to obey. And verses 12 through 13, we will see that through Jesus Christ, we have the ability to obey. Look at verse 8 there. It says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourselves. We saw in chapter 1, he already addressing the law of God. Here he calls it the royal law. And when we look at this text here, the context, he's speaking of all of God's law. Everything that was revealed to Moses in the Old Testament that was given to the prophets in which Jesus said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, this is what James is pointing to. Now when you go and you read the Old Testament, if you have not read the book of Exodus, you'll find that the nation of Israel was in captivity. They were slaves to the nation of Egypt. And while they were there, there comes a point, and God uses Moses to lead them out. But by God's mighty hand, he does some mighty miraculous works and brings the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt to freedom. (coughs) Following that, then he gives them his law. And first and foremost, he tells them to love God and then to love others. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, it says in verses 4 through 5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. It's very clear. God calls his people to love him above anything and everything else. Above all the things that you would place into your life as idols, God says, do not worship Do not give them attention, but to worship him alone, he says, with your heart and with your soul, with all of your might. This was God's command to the nation of Israel as he gives them his laws, and it's his command to us today. If you call yourself a believer in Christ, you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are to love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, and with your might. But we also know that the nation of Israel continued to fail in this and to strive after idols and to worship other gods, and God was constantly bringing them back to him, again, calling them away from them. The important point here that James lays out for you, if you are a Christian, is that your obedience to God is a sign of your love for God. Jesus said this in John chapter 14. He says in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my what? My word, my commandments. You will be obedient to those things if you love the Lord. And salvation in Jesus Christ, when you come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you and puts in the heart of the believer a desire to obey God. Not meaning that you're perfect in there, but there is a desire that you now have as a believer that you did not have. When you were a wicked sinner, separated from God, you had no desire to be obedient to his word. But when God transforms your heart and he makes you new, then in you there is a natural desire to obey the Lord God Almighty. And so when we receive God's law, we should desire to obey it. In Leviticus chapter 19, in Leviticus chapter 19, 
You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as what? As yourself. And he says, I am the Lord. Now, specifically there in Leviticus chapter 19, as he writes to the nation of Israel, and in that text, he says to the nation of Israel, this is how you're to treat your fellow Israelite brother and sister. Specifically, he gave them laws, how they were to treat them, how they were to not show favoritism, how they were to lend or to help with one another, how they were to show mercy to one another. And specifically there in Leviticus, he was speaking of the Israelite neighbor. But think about how you care for yourself, what you did this morning after you woke up, how you got ready. If you fed yourself, if you made your coffee, we combed your hair, whatever it may be, think about those things that you don't even think about, you just do. You automatically care for yourself. And that's the call upon you. There's an automatic thing that happens that you would desire to love others, your neighbor as yourself, just as you love the Lord God and obey Him. The way you care for yourself is how you are to call care for others. In the New Testament, Jesus speaks of your neighbor there. And specifically, he speaks of everyone, not just the nation of Israel caring for their their Jewish brother or sister, but here he speaks to the Christian, the follower of Christ, and says, your neighbor is anyone who needs your care and your attention. In Luke chapter 10, which we looked at last year in the book of Luke, there is a person who comes and says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus goes in and talks about the parable. He shares the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And at the end of that, in Luke chapter 10, he asks, he said, well, who was their neighbor? And they said, the one who showed him mercy. And he says, you go do the same. So you, as a follower of Christ, are called to love your neighbor as yourself and in that to show mercy. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, in verses 43 and 44, Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Well, that's a heavy one, isn't it? Think about all the enemies you've had. Think about the enemies you have as a follower of Christ today, those who would go against you. We know that Satan and the demons are our enemy, but also, as Jesus said, the world hates you if you're a Christian. You may have friends that are not Christians, but the world hates you because Christ in you, the hope of glory, and Jesus includes your neighbor as your enemy, and it says, pray for those who persecute you. Again, back to James and showing favoritism, I wonder how many in the body of Christ, not just a discovery, but in the body of Christ around the world think that they have enemies in the church who are their brothers and sisters in Christ. And they show favoritism, favoring another brother and sister in Christ over another. And what they do is they break the unity of the body of Christ, the fellowship of the body of Christ in which we are to show mercy as God has shown us mercy. And therefore you should love your brother and sister in Christ just as Christ has loved you. And those who are outside of the body of Christ, you are to show them love and to care for your neighbor just like the good Samaritan. And in all of it, by doing so, you're being obedient to the Lord God Almighty. Well, just another, to make sure we're clear on this, is in Matthew. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. 
verses 36. Actually, I'll start in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, asking Jesus, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. We've got that down, right? We love the Lord God Almighty. What's number one? Verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so Jesus gives a summary of all of that for the believer to follow. Love God and love others. Be obedient to His word. And it says all of the, all of the command, these two commandments depend on all the law and the prophets. So it is important, even though we repeatedly looked at these verses and we could go to more, that say the same thing. That as you love God, you would love others. That you would show them honor and respect and love and care and no favoritism in you. In Galatians chapter 5, it would be beneficial for you to read Galatians this week. Read what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatia and how we are to live and how the law has been given to us. And it says in verses 13 through 15 of Galatians 5, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, I wonder if that ever happens in the church. It does. That's why you chuckle. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. We are not being uh, following the Lord and being loving towards one another when we attack within the body of Christ. And you might say, well, I don't do things to other people. But yet you go around to that brother and sister in Christ to let them know about something that you know about, saying, well, I'm not gossiping. You just need to know. It happens. And it's sin. And as James said last week, it's evil, and it's not in character with God. Well, if you hear, look back here at verse 8 in James, as he speaks of this royal law, that belongs to Jesus, we should desire to obey it if we belong to Him because we love Him. And the proof of your love for God is your obedience to His commandments. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1-3 through 3 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. He says, By this we know that we love the children of God. Here it is when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. I know that I'm doing a repetitive thing here, showing you all of this Scripture so that you would see this is not something that James just made up. This is the Word of the Lord from the beginning to the end, that if you love the Lord, then you'll be obedient to Him, at least have a desire to be obedient to Him as the Holy Spirit works in you so that you would walk in holiness and that you would be very clear. There is no option. You are to love your brother and sister in Christ. You are to love your neighbor as yourself if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. 
And so the summary of verse 8, it says, if you fulfill the royal law, you're doing well. You're doing what God has called you to do. But look at verse 9. There's a but there. It says, but if you show partiality or favoritism. Again, he says it again clearly. You are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I sin in my mind or with another person, I try to change the scenario so I'm not guilty. I try to change the wording or the thoughts so that I'm not convicted as a transgressor or a sinner. It wasn't that bad. I didn't mean it that way. You just took it that way. I didn't tell them my heart really meant it that way. Oh, I, you know, you, this and that, whatever. We are conniving people. Our old self, we wicked before salvation. The Word of God says children of wrath. It's clear we did not want to do anything to follow Christ whatsoever. And so the old self, even though it's put to death, still comes up and we want to go put on the grave clothes because they used to be fun at one time. And so we still sin against one another. And then we try to connive our way out of it. But he says, if you show partiality, it's black and white here. He says, you are committing sin. Do you see why favoritism is such a serious thing, a thing you should take? You might go, well, wait, he talks about adultery, and he talks about murder. Shouldn't we spend time on all those things? Yeah, all of those things are within the Word of God and says, do not do these types of things. But he also goes on to say, if you fail in one area, you've broken all of God's law. So if you've lied only and you kept all of God's law according to what's written in the Word of God, you've broken it. So it says in verse 9, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin and convicted by the law as a transgressor. When it says convicted by the law, the law convicts you because God has a standard. So when you ran through that stop sign that you didn't think anyone was watching, and yet they got it on camera or that police officer that came by and there was a witness and all these things, when you go before the judge and he's standing there, he's sitting there and you're standing before the judge and you're saying, I'm not guilty. And they're like, well, this person witnessed it. We hear, let me replay the video for you. The police officer here gave you the ticket. You say you're still guilty. Yeah, I'm guilty. Well, no, the evidence show you broke the law. You're convicted by the law, and it says that you're a transgressor, or if you want to say a law breaker, one who violates the laws of God. <clears throat> but the believer has a desire to obey the unbeliever has no desire to obey God whatsoever. Either way, though, there's a command to obey. Look at verses 10 through 11. The second point is a command to obey. Whether you're a believer or a non-believer, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, the Word of God has been given, and there's a command that you obey it. Look at verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for some of it, What's it say? How much of it? All of it. And some of you say, that's not fair. For he said, do not commit adultery. Also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you'll become a transgressor, a breaker of the law. Every single one of you who are upstanding citizens where you live are lawbreakers. Man, that was 40 years ago I got that ticket. You are a lawbreaker. You're a transgressor. 
Ah, you know what? I remember I lied to my mom about this back in fourth grade. You're a lawbreaker. You've broken God's law because he says, do not lie. Well, I haven't done those big sins. I haven't murdered anyone. Oh, really? Jesus said that if you have anger in your heart, it's the same as murder. He says if you lust, it's the same as committing adultery. You're like, but I didn't do those acts. According to the Lord God Almighty, you are a transgressor and a breaker of his law. It's like if we had a big sheet of glass up here. And this sheet of glass was the list. Favoritism is on that glass. And adultery is on the glass. And murder, the Ten Commandments, all of God's laws are on this glass. And by chance, if you've ever broken glass before, it doesn't do too so well when a rock goes through it, right? Throw a ball and it goes through there. It shatters all over. So you might say, well, but I only broke favoritism. It was up in the corner of the glass. Well, all the glass broke. God's law is contained all together. It's all unified. And therefore, you break one of God's law, you break all of God's law in that sense. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verses 8. It says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So again, we circle back to what James says here, what he's trying to point out to the body of Christ and to teach them that if you love God, you will obey him. And one of those ways is by not showing favoritism and to love your neighbor as yourself. But if you've ever shown favoritism, you're a breaker of the law. If you've ever lied, you're a breaker of the law. Again, okay, you haven't committed murder. You haven't done this. You haven't done that. Even if you were somehow able to keep all those other commandments, but you lied once. You are a lawbreaker. And Romans 3.23 says, For all, not some, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of you is a transgressor, a lawbreaker, and you have sinned against God. You have failed to be perfect as Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior is, And so you have to give an account for all of God's law. And you say again, that's not fair. I only did these two sins. I only broke these two laws. You have to give an account to the Lord God Almighty who's given all of his law and says to obey it. And so Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? What is it? Are you serious? The wages of sin is death? It is. The Word of God says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, let me stop here and be cautious, because some of you might be rolling down this road and thinking and not, not taking in the whole picture of James, that in some way I or James is saying at this point, your salvation rests on your ability to keep the law. If you think that's what we're saying, that's completely opposite of Scripture. You cannot keep the law. Turn back to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. 
It says this about the law and keeping the law. Verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, amen, by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So the bad news is God's given his law, and every single one of us have broken it, and the penalty is death. The good news for the follower of Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ became curse meant for us, the wrath of God the Father on him meant for his people so that we could be forgiven, set free from slavery to sin, be given the righteousness of Christ, and be with our Lord and Savior for all eternity through faith alone and Christ alone. James in no way, and we'll see this next week when we go to verses 14 through 26, People argue over, was James writing something different than the Apostle Paul, works and faith and all these? And no, Scripture is not contradictory to itself, church. Don't believe the liberal theologians. Don't believe people in this world who say, oh, well, there's contradictions in the Word of God. There is no contradictions in God's Word. His Word is holy. It is perfect. It is forever, and we live and abide by it. But we will see your obedience is proof and evidence of your salvation. That you, as you obey the Lord, God, as the Holy Spirit enables you to walk in holiness and not perfectly, the more you grow more and more like Christ and hate sin more and more and you see that leaving from your life, the fruit is walking in obedience to the Lord. And so I could tell you all day long, obey God. Obey his word, follow him, do exactly what he says, and you will, may be down and frustrated and upset because you keep failing every single day. That comes from you resting on your own abilities to keep God's law and not resting in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit who gives you the ability to walk in holiness. You must be a follower of Christ who relies on the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, you will never please God and obey Him in a way, something that you just came up yourself. As Galatians said there, Jesus Christ is the one that we must rely on. He's the only one that can bring you from being a transgressor. So remember, we're all lawbreakers. We're all transgressors. Every single one of us has sinned. And if we stood before God, the judge, he's going to judge, right? And the penalty is death, right? But Jesus Christ took that for the believer so that by his precious blood that we were just singing, thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood, we could be saved, we could be forgiven through faith in him, and that he does all the work, and he makes us righteous through his faith, and we have a right standing before the Lord as we're justified, and he says, innocent 
the blood of Christ, my son, my daughter, who I've adopted to be my own. And we say, thank you, Jesus. Well, James says there is to be a desire to obey. There's a command to obey. And if you look at the last couple of verses, verses 12 through 13, know that there is an ability to obey only for the believer, as we've been looking here. And so as Jesus does the work of salvation and gives the sinner that comes to faith in him a new heart, a new mind, a new soul, that we are made new, that we are regenerated, that in that we're given the ability to obey him and to obey the royal law to love others because we love him first. If you turn to two prophets in the Old Testament, first one being Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31 we see God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, showing that God changes the hearts of his people, that the law of God that was written on stone tablets are then put upon the hearts of his people. And it says in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 33 through 34, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each be his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So church, get it out of your mind that you are going to do something to make yourself acceptable to God. Do you see what he does? He says, I will make this. I will put the law upon them. I will be their God. I will change their heart. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. It's repeated a couple times in Ezekiel. I think it's chapter... I won't guess. I'll just go to the one I know. Ezekiel 36. In verse 26 and 27, the Lord God again says this, and I will give you a new heart. Do we give ourselves a new heart? What does it say? Who gives the new heart? God. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. On Sunday nights, we've been going through 1 Peter. Join us tonight here at 5 o'clock. And we saw that God caused us to be born again, it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that he also makes us walk in ways that are in holiness and righteousness and in obedience to him. And therefore, Christians are the only ones who have real, true freedom in life. And that freedom in life is to be obedient to God because the Holy Spirit lives in the people of God and His truth upon, is upon our hearts and we hear the Word of God read and the Holy Spirit says obey. But again, we've looked at this so many times here on Sunday mornings. We still battle with wanting to be in control, thinking, I am going to go out today and do something holy and righteous for God. You ever thought that before? 
I mean, have you ever woken up on, on a Monday morning or whatever morning? You're like, man, I'm just going to go please the Lord today. That's wonderful. That should be upon your heart. But you didn't think of that up because you want to just lay back down in bed and be a sloth all day. You want to stay home all day and eat all the junk that you should want to eat. You want to engage on TV and do whatever else that fills the old flesh of the old man. Let's be honest. When we have a desire to be obedient to the Lord and to walk in holiness, because the Holy Spirit's driving you there. So we should wake up and say, Holy Spirit, fill me up and help me today. Because I know when I go out that door myself, I'm only going to be about me and not you. So direct me and move me. Help me to read your word and apply it in my life because God calls you to be reliant upon him alone. Not your spouse, not your family member, not your friend, not the person that's preaching on TV, not Pastor Paul, not any of the elders of your church. You're supposed to be reliant on Jesus Christ alone and the Holy Spirit moving in you to make you walk in holiness. James says this in verse 12, so so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Again, Jesus taught this, being judged according to conformity to the law. And those who are, who are saved by Christ are accepted by God, adopted, and they're made righteous. And so the judgment that the rest of the world receives at the day when Christ returns and all that stand before him face judgment, all who reject Christ as Lord and Savior will be judged that they are a lawbreaker and they will be cast into hell for all eternity. In the place where, yes, this gnashing of teeth and weeping, but God's wrath, God the Father's wrath will be poured upon those in hell for all eternity, never ending. Quite sobering to think about that. And for the believer, quite a moment to rejoice that Christ is in you the hope of glory and that you've been adopted by your heavenly father it says this in philippians chapter 12 or chapter 2 philippians chapter 2 as you turn to philippians chapter 2 again you should highlight this underline this print it out keep it in front of you if you are a follower of christ read this every single morning of your life philippians chapter 12 verses 2 verses 12 through 13, because this is instruction for you as a believer who desires to obey, who knows that there's a command to obey, and you must know that you have an ability to obey. But look at this in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You ever heard that before? You ever read that before? You ever stopped at that verse and walked out the door? And then you wonder why all day long was a horrible failure? It's because if you read there and stop there, you think that you're in control of everything. Look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We should say a huge amen. And praise the Lord because you, who are called to be obedient to the Lord, cannot do it on your own. So God makes the way. He gives you the ability by His Holy Spirit working in you. Therefore, there should be joy 
to walk in holiness, knowing the assurance of God's word that he will do according to his will for his pleasure, his joy, and that is for you to walk in holiness and he will empower you to do so. How many of you would say that you are in need of God to show you mercy? Anyone? I'll put my hand up. Um, We need the mercy of God. You need the mercy of God if you're, well, not if, you are a transgressor, you are a lawbreaker. You need the mercy of God. James says in verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy Mercy triumphs over, just, ju- over judgment. We are in constant need of mercy because we fail all the time. We fail to obey God. And we need His mercy. We need His continued forgiveness. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us. We need to confess our sins before Him regularly. Even though God knows those, even though the blood of Christ has already forgiven the sins of His people, that we still confess them before the Lord, that we acknowledge that we failed and that we are in need of His great mercy. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So going back to James and favoritism as the example he uses in the church, are you showing mercy to others? Has God shown you great mercy to forgive you? And if so, by forgiveness in Christ, because your faith in Christ, you too are called to show mercy to others, to love your neighbor as yourself as you obey the Lord God Almighty. Jesus tells a parable, which many of you know of it, called, I'm always amazed even people who are not followers of Christ, they, they know the story of the prodigal son. And again, he goes away, squanders his wealth, takes all that stuff, loses everything, comes back. Dad runs to him, accepts him, clothes him, throws a party for him. But yet the older brother comes in and just despises his brother. And he does not show mercy to his brother. His father says, you need to show mercy. He was lost. He's found. He's back here. That's the type of mercy that God's called you to show to others. And if you do not show mercy to others, if you are showing favoritism, whatever the list of the things that you're disobeying the Lord, then this instant here where it says mercy triumphs over justice, if you are not showing mercy, then you are the older brother of the prodigal son and you're sinning against God and it's evil and it's wrong and I would say confess your sins before the Lord for he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. So some questions to close with here. One, do you love God? If you love God, you are a follower of God. And if you're a follower of God, God has declared the gospel of Jesus Christ to you, that Jesus Christ died on the cross in the place for his people and shed his blood so that you, that you, his people, could be set free from sins, to be forgiven 
And Jesus Christ physically died on the cross. He was placed in a tomb. The tomb was sealed. And on the third day, God Almighty raised the Son from death to life. And He was seen. He was witnessed. He gave instructions to His followers. He ascended into heaven where He's ruling and reigning. And He says, I am coming again soon. And we say, Lord Jesus, come now. And if you believe that Jesus Christ died in your place for your sins and you're forgiven by your faith in Him, you are saved, as the Word of God teaches us. And if so, then you have a love for God you did not have. But the follow-up question is, is do you love others? If you're not loving others, if there's people that you're like, I cannot stand that person, I hope they don't sit in my row at church this week. Let's try to time this different because I think they come early and we go late. You know what, Pastor, can I go out the side door today? I mean, you need to ask these questions. If there's people that you've wronged or they've wronged you, go and make those amends before you would gather and take bread and cup together as we do regularly. Forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. Philippians chapter 2 says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us your Word to help us to know the Gospel, that you love us, so greatly that you would send your son for your people, that you would save us, that you would set us free from slavery to sin, that you would make us new, that you would cause us to walk in your ways. We thank you, Jesus, that you would die for us, that you would shed your blood for us, and we praise you that you are alive. We thank you for salvation that you grant us, and we say, Jesus, Come soon. We say, come now. And as we wait, lift our eyes to the clouds. Help our hearts to obey. Holy Spirit, help us to abide by your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.